It was just a very unique opportunity that presented itself, a natural and very good fit for my particular experience, sort of a, an alignment of the stars, if you will. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net, where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is going to talk about relaunching his career from being a software founder and IT consultant to an intellectual property attorney. We'll talk about pursuing another degree while you're working full-time and what it's like to have a portfolio career. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel segment, I'll wrap up with my own thoughts on investing in yourself to expand your career options. On today's show, David Goldbranson will be our featured guest. David's an author and attorney with over a decade of experience in information technology and software development. In his law practice, he helps small business owners and startups navigate intellectual property, information technology, and business law issues. On top of that, he's also the director of information technology at the University of Chicago Law School. So this guy's got a true portfolio career. He spoke with me from Chicago. Hello, David. Thanks so much for joining us today on Career Relaunch. I am really looking forward to hearing all about your career story. Great. I'm happy to be here. So I'd love to start off by, first of all, having you just tell us a little bit more about your law practice and also the work you do at the University of Chicago Law School. Sure. My law practice is primarily uh, concentrated in intellectual property. I practice part-time because I am also at the University of Chicago Law School. Uh, My role there is as the chief information officer. So I'm in charge of the IT for the school both from a policy perspective and overseeing the technical staff here at the school. I see. And on the intellectual property side, do you work with any particular type of client or any particular type of business? Yeah, I tend to focus on small businesses and startups. Um, I have a background in computer science and a lot of experience with startups actually before I became an attorney. And so I really like working with small business owners or people who are uh, in the very early stages of a startup venture, trying to get things off the ground, don't necessarily have a lot of, of money or funding, but still have legal questions and legal issues that they need to address to make sure that they're in the best position possible down the road when they do start either growing their business or receiving funding to grow their business. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to that because I think there's a lot of interesting tips and lessons that we can definitely learn from you. I'm actually most interested, since we are here to talk about career, in hearing a little bit more about your career trajectory. Because obviously, having a law practice and uh, being the director of IT are two very different things. And so (laughs) you've got the true portfolio career. And I'd love to go back in time and just have you take us through how you got to where you are right now. Can you explain to us what you were doing before you became an attorney when you were involved in web development? I graduated from college with a degree in computer science. And so, you know, after that, I needed a job and 
it was in the mid-90s. It was a very good time in the U.S. in the tech industry. And so I actually went to San Francisco and worked for a startup there. Um, and after that startup was acquired, I launched another startup. And so I was mostly doing technical development work, XML, uh, Java development. I really enjoyed working in the startup environment. I enjoyed the culture, the, the pace, everything about it was really great. But I realized that the things that I was interested in relating to startups were less development, less technical, and more the business side of the house, more financing, management, uh, growing the business, attracting investment, that sort of thing. And so what happened after that? Did you continue to do what you were doing or did you make a move into the business side of things? Well, I, I started to make a move more into the business side of things with my own startup, which was an XML development company. I enjoyed having my own startup, but I, I really liked the people that I met at other startups and talking to them and wanted to figure out what way could I work with other entrepreneurs in a way that I could add value to the businesses that they were creating, which led me to a decision sort of point where I thought about pursuing an MBA and I thought about pursuing a JD. Uh, my wife is an attorney and uh, we sat down and we had this discussion and basically it came down to the single question of what can you do with one degree that you can't do with the other? And although, you know, the education track is somewhat different for the two, obviously, with an MBA, you can do everything that you can do with a JD except practice law. And the converse is not true. You know, with a JD, you can do everything you can do with an MBA, but you also have the option of practicing law. And I've always been interested in intellectual property, especially as it relates to software development and tech companies. Um, obviously, with any kind of tech startup, there's a, a large intellectual property component. And so that led me back to law school. So I decided to go ahead and, and pursue my JD with a certification in intellectual property. And what was that process like, David, as you were thinking about the prospect of going back to law school, having already worked for so many years? What was that like for you? But it was daunting, really. I mean, I was a non-traditional returning student, so I was older than most of my classmates. I had a job at the time. I was working at uh, the University of Chicago Booth School of Business in the IT department as a director there. And so I had to return in an evening weekend program, um, which is a little bit longer than a traditional law school program. Going to school period is a challenging thing. I mean, it takes a lot of time and, and energy. And doing that on top of working a full-time job was really daunting. <laughs> How different was the type of work you were needing to do in law school versus the type of work you were doing before? Obviously, you were a student, which is different, but just I would imagine the way you use your brain is just radically different. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's the, it's, it's kind of cliche, but the, the saying is that law school doesn't teach you the law. It teaches you how to think like a lawyer. And there's some, you know, like most cliches, there's something that there's an underlying element of truth to it. And uh, it's a very different skill set that you're applying. There's a similarity in that uh, a lot of law, at least in practice, is uh, problem solving and a lot of IT is problem solving. And so there is some overlap I find there to approaching how to solve a problem, but that's really where the similarity sort of ends. I see. And during that process, did you ever have one of those moments where you just kind of thought, am I on the right track here? Oh, sure. 
Sure. There were plenty of times when I thought, why am I doing this? Now? Right. I can imagine. <laughs> or, you know, can I, <laughs> can I sustain this? Right. You know, going to work from nine to five and then like a half hour break and then classes until 9 p.m., you know, four nights a week. So there were definitely times when I, I questioned whether I was doing the right thing or not or whether or not I could keep up with it. I think what really kept me going was my wife was very supportive. She had gone through a similar program. Not only did she understand the perspective of what I was going through as a law student because she had done it before, but she understood the additional challenge of being a non-traditional evening weekend law student, which is different than the challenges that a full-time law student faces. Could you also just Take us through or just give us a glimpse into what it was like to be a slightly older student in law school, just because I know some people I talk to, they realize that they need to go back to school to get to where they want to go. But the idea of going back as an older student is one that they struggle to reconcile. Could you just give us a glimpse into what that was like for you? Sure. I, actually, I, I, I liked it for a couple of reasons. One, most of my peers when I was in law school had full-time jobs, had families, and so they understood the sacrifices that we were all making to be there, and they understood the difficulty of managing uh, uh, you know, the workload from your primary day job in addition to the workload for school. And so I think you get a lot of support from your fellow students, which is nice. And the other thing that I think is a little bit different is I knew I wanted to be there to pursue a JD. I wasn't there because of family pressure to continue in the family business. I wasn't there because I had just graduated from college and didn't know what else to do. I had a much better focus, I think, than I would have had when I was younger. Now, you had a lot of experience before in the IT industry. What happened to that part of yourself when you made the shift toward pursuing law? I focused my classes on intellectual property, on trade secrets, copyright law, patent law. And in those courses, I think having a technical background definitely helped and contributed to the, the subject matter because so much of the tech industry has intellectual property as a major component. And so it was definitely helpful to have that background. I found that in those intellectual property classes, the majority of students had some kind of technical background. It wasn't necessarily computer science, but it may be that they were electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, or um, chemists, biologists, people that were coming from some kind of science technical background, because that's a big help when you're pursuing a career in intellectual property law. What's interesting as I'm listening to your story here, David, is that you seemed to have this very strong clarity. I know you mentioned there were some doubts along the way, but you seemed very certain of where you were headed and what you wanted to do. How did you get that clarity? Because I, I talk to a lot of people who, when they're thinking about making a change, one of the biggest fears is knowing whether or not that's the right move and the fear that they're going to end up in a situation that maybe isn't any better than where they were before. How did you amass that or cultivate that clarity? Part of that is that I frequently experiment with other things. I mean, I, I pursue lots of hobbies in my spare time. And so I've explored different options. 
along the ways. I, I have a, in addition to my my background in computer science, I have a background in theater. I saw that your dual degree in computer science and theater. Yeah, yeah, my undergraduate degree. I did scenic design. I was a designer, not an actor, and so I pursued that for a while. I actually, for a while, after college, um, had my own production company that did video production. And I explored that career option. It didn't work out. It turned out not to be for me. But at least for me, I had to go through a period of trying different things and not being afraid to fail. It's hard. I think everybody is afraid to fail. And I was certainly afraid to fail, but I did fail. I had startups that didn't pan out. That teaches you some valuable lessons, I think, about your interests, where they lie, what you're capable of, and I hate to say I recommend everyone fail. <laughs> uh-huh, right. It sounds weird to say that, but I do because I think that uh, one of the best lessons that I learned from failing in a startup environment is the lesson that it's okay and life goes on and you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try something else. And the world doesn't stop and it's not the end of everything if you do fail life is full of second chances. And so if you try something and it doesn't work out and it fails, try to look at it, learn the lessons from that failure, and then take those lessons into the next thing that you try. As you think about this transition, David, what do you think was the hardest part of making the shift from one industry into another? The hardest thing for me personally was that I wasn't actually sure if I wanted to practice law. <laughs> I see. <laughs> you know, I had a very clear vision of, of what I wanted to do with my law degree, advising startups and dealing with intellectual property. But the absolute thing that I did not want to do, which I saw some of my peers having to do, is end up doing insurance defense or get tracked into a large firm where all day long you're reviewing documents and supervising other people reviewing documents. I mean, those are things that I definitely knew I didn't want to do. And frankly, that's the majority of stuff out there practicing law, 85 or 90% of it are things that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to litigate. I didn't want to do criminal law. And so it seemed like it was a big leap of faith to pursue this degree with the end goal being the ability to practice law, knowing that the majority of types of practice out there I didn't want to do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Finding the needle in the haystack there. Right, right. right. And, you know, the very particular niche market that I wanted to be in. Okay, so you finish up law school, and then what happened? So obviously you decided not to go work for a firm. How did you then come to the decision that you wanted to start your own practice? I've always been very independent and comfortable with the startup aspect of it. And so I launched my practice immediately after law school. I spent about two years doing consulting slash legal work while I started to build um, clientele with my practice because I always had the IT side of things, which has sort of always been my uh, safety net. I was able to take on a mixture of IT consulting clients and legal clients it allowed me to not handle a divorce case when somebody would ask me for it. And that, honestly, was one of the hardest things to avoid when I started my own practice was you don't have a deep base of clients. Mm-hmm. And so there's always this temptation to sort of take anyone who walks in the door because you need the work. You think, oh, I could just do this one divorce because I don't have any 
IP clients lined up right at the moment, and I'm, you know, I don't have good prospects. So this is right here, and it's, you know, pay. How did you avoid that temptation? I took a divorce case. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. It was so awful. It was absolutely horrible. Right. It just wasn't worth it. If you, you know, the trade off of the of the potential money from that type of work versus how much I disliked the work. If I wanted to keep doing work that I didn't want to do, I could have not wasted that much time and effort, right? So that helps bring it into very clear focus. Okay, so in addition to focusing on the legal work you do enjoy, if that weren't keeping you busy enough, you're also the director of IT at the University of Chicago Law School. Can you just walk us through how you came to that decision to add another layer to your career to make it a true portfolio career? It was just a very unique opportunity that presented itself. I mean, I was practicing. I had a lot of experience in IT in the university setting. I worked for the the University of Chicago Booth School of Business for eight years. So I had a lot of experience with the institution. I had a lot of experience in academic computing. And so when the position at the law school presented itself, it was a, a natural and very good fit for my particular experience. I had university experience, I had IT experience, and I had a law degree. It was just sort of a, an alignment of the stars, if you will. And my practice is very small. Uh, again, it's part-time. I deal primarily with very small startups and, and small businesses. And so the nice thing about it was that uh, it's not full-time, so I can do it you know, part-time outside of regular working hours here at the university. That allows me to be very selective about my client base, which is something that is very, very fortunate. And when you look back at all your career changes, what's something that you wished you had known that you now know about career change? I wish I had known how much work it is. I think I did go into law school a little bit blind to how difficult it is to sort of completely swivel. It's hard. The Going back and pursuing additional education is hard. It's a big time investment, and I don't think I fully understood how much of a time commitment that is. Again, I think that sometimes you just sort of have to take that leap of faith and not be afraid to fail. And if anybody out there wants to change careers and become a lawyer or get into the legal profession, do you have any advice? I love education and I recommend more education for everyone, but you do have to look at the return on that investment. And so, and law school is not cheap, either is business school. And so you really have to understand the value of what you're paying for and the prospects for the return on that investment to obtain that JD. You know, there are great things that you can do with a law degree that are rewarding in non-financial ways. You know, I know a number of students that I went, people that I went to law school with who are working in public interest, you know, who are working in immigration law and who are not getting rich doing it, but are really, really making a difference in people's lives. And so there are non-monetary award, you know, returns that you have to weigh into that calculation. Now, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about your expertise, which is intellectual property. Do you have any intellectual property tips for small business owners, whether it's just a common pitfall that comes up that you deal with or just a general piece of advice that you think is helpful to share? Two things that I see happen a lot 
are patent law and trademark law. In patent law, the number one thing that comes up is, hey, I have this great idea. I've been selling this product for a couple of years, and now I want to practice. I want to see about getting it patented. Well, there's a statutory one-year bar on patents once you've started selling your product. So if you have a physical invention, or if you have a process that you think is very unique, any kind of, of invention like that that you think may be patentable, talk to a patent attorney or a patent agent as quickly as possible. End up saving yourself money in the long run by spending a little bit of money up front to figure out whether or not you have a patent. The other mistake that I see people make is with relation to trademarks, and that is, hey, I launched this great product and you know it's going or this great company and it's going really great and I'm selling it. And then I just got this letter from this other company that says that I'm infringing their trademark. What what is this? It's a lot better to pay a small amount of money to an attorney to do a search and make sure there are no conflicting trademarks out there and to register your trademark up front than it is to be selling your product and and developing your brand for three years only to get hit with a cease and desist and find out that you now have to start over again from square one. Well, I could definitely attest to the importance of speaking to an attorney about your trademark. When I started my business, I called it Onward Coaching which I thought was so cool. And I was really excited about the name because it was aspirational and it was all about moving on in your career. And uh, it wasn't until I actually talked to a trademark attorney that I realized I couldn't actually trademark that name because it violated one of the criteria for a trademark. I know that whenever I talk to legal experts like you, I end up learning about a lot of things that never even crossed my mind to consider. So I think that's very valuable (laughs) advice. So if people want to either learn more about intellectual property law, or if they just want to have a chat with you or find out more about the work you do, where can they go? They can go to my website, which is just goldbransonlaw.com. So it's my name, uh, G-U-L-B-R-A-N-S-E-N-L-A-W.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David, sharing your story about your portfolio career that you developed for yourself, the importance of learning from failure, and also just sharing a few useful tips about getting into the legal profession, but also uh, some tips on intellectual property law too. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, no problem. It's been fun. So I hope you enjoyed hearing David's perspectives on his decision to go to law school, managing failure, and what it's like to have a portfolio career. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing my own thoughts on the importance of investing in yourself. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to leave you with a few closing thoughts on one of the topics David and I discussed, going back to school and investing in yourself. Then I'll finish up by sharing a free resource you can use to help you uncover ways you can invest in yourself to expand your career options. So I think one of the hardest career decisions out there is whether you should invest in more education to reach the next stage of your career, especially because more training can mean some serious effort, money, and time. Sometimes this decision to get more training is a little more straightforward. With some professions, you need to get a certain license, degree, or certification as a prerequisite to work in that field. But if you're already mid-career and you're thinking about switching into a new profession or starting a side business, this decision about whether you have to invest in additional training isn't normally that clear-cut. 
And I've definitely been there. Back in episode two, you might remember I mentioned how I resigned from medical school, but I didn't really get into what I did next. I actually ended up taking a job as an analyst at a health policy consulting firm in Washington, D.C. The main part of my job there was focused on doing research for healthcare clients. But as time went on, I found myself getting a lot more interested and involved in the branding and marketing side of the business instead of the consulting side of the business. The problem was, every day I kind of felt like something was missing. I was in my early 20s at the time, and I didn't have any sort of formalized business or marketing training. And as time went on, I started to feel more and more uncomfortable both because I felt like I didn't really know what I was talking about, but also because I felt like not having any sort of formalized marketing knowledge might eventually catch up to me or get in the way of me progressing in my career. So I started to think about doing an MBA, but I actually found that idea of going back to school to be really daunting. Doing an advanced degree is expensive, getting in is a lot of work, and I wasn't even sure if doing an MBA was going to be worth the investment. I actually found it easier to come up with excuses to not go back to school. But eventually, I decided to go for it. And doing an MBA was by far one of the best career decisions I ever made. I had to take out some student loans, and I was definitely in debt for a little while after I graduated. But the cost of that education has definitely more than paid for itself by creating the on-ramp to my eventual career in brand management and marketing, and now as a career consultant and speaker. Now, I'm sharing this story because I think investing in yourself can be an incredibly powerful catalyst to creating change in your own career. But I also know it's not always a straightforward decision. If you want to make a change, you don't have to go out and invest in additional training. There are plenty of people, including our guest coming up in our next episode, who manage to reinvent themselves without going back to school. But sometimes investing the effort to learn a new skill can not only equip you with the knowledge you need to excel in your next role, but also create a stamp of credibility that can help you land your next role. Personally, I've found at almost every major pivot point in my career, I've had to make some sort of investment in myself to unlock the door to the next chapter in my life. And the nice thing is no one can ever take away your knowledge, training, or skills. This reminds me of a quote from Warren Buffett. Invest as much as you can in yourself. You are your own best asset. So my challenge to you is to make an investment in yourself. It doesn't have to be a big investment or a lengthy investment, but when you think about the missing training, skills, or knowledge that's standing in the way of you getting to the next stage in your career, what's one worthwhile investment you could make to help you build that bridge between where you are today and where you want to go next? If you want help figuring out a few ways you could invest in yourself, you can download a free worksheet I created to help you do this at careerrelaunch.net slash episode five, where you can also find a summary of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, you can ask me a question, and I'd love to hear what investment you ended up deciding to make in yourself. Also, you can help support my podcast by subscribing or leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can do that right there at careerrelaunch.net slash episode five. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Career Relaunch, and a special thanks again to David Goldbranson for joining us today. This episode was mixed by Raid Sandtrack, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time. 